Well, we're going to close out our sermon series today. Uh, how many of you have ever lost one of your children? I mean, in the sense like you drove away and you forgot they were somewhere or you lost them at a park. Is anybody? Okay. Some of you are probably too embarrassed to say you did. Uh, I have lost three out of five of my children. Um, the first time uh, I had taken, Remington was young, I had taken him to Six Flags, it was just me and him, we were in a play area, uh, and we were up on the second floor, and I, was, I pushed him down the slide, and I rode, ran down, and I got to the bottom, and he wasn't there. And I'm like, did he come out already? Like, where is he at? Like, is he still up there? So I'm calling, don't see him. You know, your heart starts to panic a little bit. And so I, I run back up and I'm like, he's not in the tube. Like, where is he? So then I'm running all over this place. Can't figure out where he is. I run outside to the attendant. I'm like, I can't find my son. Did you see him? And she's like, sir, nobody came out. Like, he's got to be in there. I'm like, well, I can't find him. I run back in. Well, here's what happened. Remington slid in the tube just a, like a few feet in. And I couldn't see where he was, and he didn't go all the way down. And then when I ran back up, he just poked his head out. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, I thought I had lost you. The second time we lost Weston, now this was, this, this was a marvel because he eluded me, Krista, my parents, and my brother and sister-in-law. We were over at um, Dorney Park in, in the Wild Water Kingdom part, and we were just in one of those splash play areas, and it was like a submarine. And he went through one hole in the side, and I ran around to the other, and he didn't come out. And I'm like, this thing has only got to be three feet long. I, you know, like, I don't understand where this kid went. And so it's like, where's Weston? Where's Weston? We're all looking all over the place. And I'm telling you, the, the six of us here as adults somehow have lost Weston. And it turns out there was another play area right next to it that somehow he wandered over to without any of us noticing. And again, it was that feeling of like, Oh my gosh, we, we thought we had lost you. Well, the third time was Lincoln, which um, I have to say, if I was going to lose any child, Lincoln's the best one to lose. Like, he's probably like a dog would just wander his way home. Um, but we were over at uh, Font Hill in Doylestown, and Font Hill was doing this kind of old-timey picnic. They had all kinds of things set up on the fairgrounds, and so you're probably talking at least a thousand people. And we're, we're doing all this stuff, and we're walking through, and then all of a sudden we realized Lincoln is not with us. Uh, and so we're like, where's Lincoln? And we're looking around, we're looking around, and, and, and now we're really starting to panic because, again, there's a ton of people here. And luckily, my, my neighbor happened to be in a barbershop quartet, and he was, like, singing to us. And then I was like, hey, I can't find my kid. Can you watch my other kids while Chris and I start looking? So we're running all over the place. And I come up to which is kind of the medical tent uh, or, or, like, the security tent, and I'm like... I can't find my son. You've got to help me. And they're like, what's he wearing? I'm like, he's got an American flag shirt. Well, it happened to be 4th of July weekend. Um, that was completely useless at that point. Um, and, and we ran around, and, and we found him. And I just, again, like, same thing. Like, oh, my gosh, like, I thought I had lost you. And, boy, that moment when you realize you can't find your child, it's a feeling of panic. And the moment you find them, it's this enthusiastic joy. We were just so glad that you have them back in your arms. Uh, and you know you love your kids, right? But I'll tell you, that, that feeling of that in-between, that's when you really know just how much you love them because your mind is completely consumed with finding your child. Well, we're going to... 
We're going to talk about the lost and found today, and we're going to finish our sermon series, I Have Sinned. Uh, and I really wanted us to grasp the depth and the complexity of what sin looks like in, in our hearts. And I know you might be feeling like I just continue to hammer you guys over the last 12 weeks of just, you know, you sin, you sin, you sin. And you're probably like after the first two or three, we're like, Adam, I get it. I'm a sinner. God loves me. I'm forgiven. Let's move on. Uh, but I, I really wanted us to explore just how much sin works uh, in the depths of our soul because we oftentimes don't recognize that sin is sin in our lives, right? A lot of times it's very deceptive in the way that it moves. Uh, a lot of times it's almost like this, this Trojan horse uh, within our hearts and our minds. And Satan's just whispering to us, no, you're, you're fine. What you're doing is okay. You're not wrong, right? And, and we begin to believe that piece, right? That what we're doing is what God has called us to do. And really we're just continuing to go further down this path of sin. Uh, and so it can be easily disguised, and I really wanted to expose that and say, here's how sin works in so many different ways in our hearts. And so my prayer has been, you know, not that you feel uh, destroyed by our sinfulness. I didn't want it to be a hammer that came down on you. But what I wanted this sermon series to be was something that brought us to our knees before our father, where he could then lift us back up into his good graces. That's what my heart and my desire has been. And so we're going to close this series out. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Luke chapter 15. Uh, we're going to talk about the prodigal son today uh, and the blessed sinner. And it wasn't too long ago that Dave Allen did a whole series on prodigals and spoke to us about how we all really kind of fit that mold of what does it mean to be a, a wayward type of child. Um, and, and it's a, it's a, a parable that is part of a series of three parables where something is lost and found and there's a, there's a sheep, there's a coin, and then there's a son. And each one becomes progressively more valuable to the person uh, that had lost it. And, and the response to the, the parables actually comes like many of Jesus' teachings. It's a response to the cold, hard heart of the Pharisees, uh, the religious leaders who of the day who knew the scriptures inside and out. They were the ones that were called to to lead God's people into righteousness and holiness. Uh, you know, these were these were like the spelling bee champions. They could rattle off any memory, any memory verse that you gave them on the spot. They could have said, here's what God's word has to say. But the problem with the Pharisees is for all of the the knowledge they had. It never got into their soul about their sinfulness and their savior and their salvation. And we see that in, in John chapter five. It says you study the scriptures diligently because you think in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. So he says, Pharisees, you guys know everything about the scriptures, but you don't know who I am. And that is what the scriptures completely talk about. And so he responds to this because of what the Pharisees are thinking and doing and saying in their hearts. So in verses one and two, it says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him. But the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. 
So Jesus is gathered with, with all of these sinful people, right? The tax collectors are always bad guys and the sinners, and, and they're viewed as the, the bad folk of the Bible. Right? We stay away from them is, is how the, the scriptures make it seem. And the Pharisees, they're supposed to be the good guys, the religious leaders. And when they see all of these evil pollutants just sitting around Jesus, they are disgusted. And they go, doesn't Jesus know? How could he do this? Nobody would sit around these people. Oh, clearly Jesus has no idea what he's doing. And, and, and of course, the fact that Jesus is willing to be in fellowship with them just communicates his love for them. But the Pharisees don't see that. And so they're, they're mummering this under their breasts. And Jesus, having good hearing, picks up on it. And he basically is like, I'm going to tell some, some, some parables. I'm going to do a teaching into response to what I just heard. And I'm going to say it loud enough that those people over there who refuse to come in the presence of these sinners and tax collectors can hear what it is that I'm saying. Because more than anything, those are the people that need to know the truth that I'm speaking about. And so he goes on and, and, he, and he tells these three parables, right? He tells the first one of a man who has 100 sheep and, and 99 are there, but one wanders away and he leaves the 99 and he goes off and he finds the one and he rejoices because what was lost has now been found. And then the next one tells of a woman who has lost one of her coins and she's searching frantically through the house and then when she finds it, she rejoices because again, what was lost was now found. And then he decides to tell a third one, again, of the son who is lost and the father longs for him. And then when he comes home, he rejoices because what was lost was now found. And so the third one, though, adds a little bit more, more context, a little bit more color to the ideas of the parable, because this is the one that he really wants to have it sink in for everyone. So Luke 15 Moving over to, to verse 11 there. And it said, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. And so he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together and had set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth and wild living. And after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country and he began to be in need. And so he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. And he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. So the son comes to his father and he says, listen, I've got a demand to make. I want you to give me my inheritance because legally that is what is owed to me. I'm your child and I'm entitled to a portion of your estate and your property. And, uh, and I want it. And so he doesn't treat this as a gift, but he treats it as a matter of law and justice is the way he approaches his father on this. And he says, I want it, and I want it now. And in a way, the fact that he's saying this to his father is essentially communicating to his father, I really wish you were dead. That's the tone that this carries, because typically you didn't get the inheritance until the father has passed away, but the son demands of it now. And so this creates separation, it creates distance, and it creates hostility between the father and the son. But the father knowing how it works, the father knowing what's happened, I'm sure is deeply saddened by this and, and is probably heartbroken that his son would approach him in such a manner that he says, all right, I'm gonna give you what you're owed. And he gives him his portion. 
And the son goes out and he, and he squanders it on wild living. And that wild living means wasteful, reckless, lacking any sort of morals. If I had to be honest about what this probably looked like, I would probably say this was the Las Vegas bachelor party is what it was. That's the kind of lifestyle that the son was out there living. And so he, he spends and he spends and probably all kinds of immorality that we can imagine. And then a famine hits. And that even sets the stage even further to add to the struggles that the young man is going to now face as he goes through. And he's hungry. and He's got no money. He basically tries to hire himself out to, to work in the, the pig's pen. And he gets to a point where he's like, man, I, I'm willing to eat out of the pig's trough. That's how bad this is. And that just, again, in the Jewish culture, the pig was the forbidden taboo animal. So the fact that he's willing to eat out of this trough just shows the despair that this man is in. And we have to remember, it's a parable. He's trying to communicate a message. So Jesus is laying it on pretty thick at this point. But he's hit rock bottom. He's, he's out. He's down. He's got nowhere else to turn. There, there's no further that this man could fall in his life. But it's okay because we can all look at this and rest comfortably and go, well, that ungrateful son got what he deserved, right? That's, that's often what we want to say in our hearts. So now we come to verse 17. When he came to his senses, the young son, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. And we've seen this before, right? We've been seeing this every week. The man that's down on his luck, the, the immoral sinner, the, the man that's pressed to the very edge of, of death and despair, and then he just has that feeling of like, I get it. What I've done is wrong. And he makes this confession and he makes this repentance to God. And, and he says, God, I'm not worthy. God, forgive me for what I have done. He says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm, I'm going to go back to my father's house because at least there I was fed. At least there, there, there was a roof over my head. I'm going to go back and I'm going to plead my case and say, listen, I will come back to you even if it's just as a servant. Matter of fact, that's probably where I deserve to be instead. I've squandered everything my father gave me. But just maybe, just maybe, He'll take me back. And so we continue. Verse 20. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. And he was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son and he threw his arms around him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Bring a ring and put it on his fingers and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began 
to celebrate. And so as the son nears his father, his father's filled with compassion and he runs and he throws his arm around him and he, and he just kisses his son and, and the son attempts to say he's sorry and the father's like, no, don't worry about it. He's like, your presence here is all that matters. I'm just so excited that I have my son back. And he says, get the robe, get the ring, get the sandals, bring the fattened calf. We're, we're going to celebrate, guys. It's time to rejoice. It's a time to party over what has happened. And just to add a little more cultural context, the fact that this father would run uh, was really a cultural taboo. It really was more of an embarrassment that a father would pick up his robe and run down like that. It would almost be like if I decided to run down the street of my boxers. That's what was going on. But see, the father's compassion for his son had overridden any cultural taboo that existed. You know, I, I have to imagine that, to, to just dramatize this a little bit, because I want us to see this, that the father just is longing for his son and he's just pining away and he just sits there. Morning, noon and night and he's just thinking about what his son has done and he's just like, Lord, I pray to you, please, please just make him, keep him safe, protect him, bring him home if he needs to. And he, he just sits and he's just praying and he's thinking, this is my little son, this is my boy. I care for him, I loved him. And he walked out on me. I'm sure he's just heartbroken over it. But he just keeps praying, Lord, I pray for my son. I pray for my son. Just constantly looking down the empty road. And every time a silhouette would come up down that road, every time a shadowy figure would come, I have to imagine his, his father had a feeling of angst and excitement. Is that, is that, is that, that's not him, that's, it's too tall. It's not him. Is that, is that my son? Is that, is that, that's, that's not, it's not him. Every time that that silhouette just became another stranger, I have to imagine it was heartbreaking for the father. Because all he wanted was his son to come home. And so every stranger that come, he, he probably got out of his chair. And he, he probably... When is he going to come? How's he doing? How's he doing? And then that one day happens. That one day happens where he's sitting there. So many broken, broken hearts. So, so many false hopes. And that one day happens where he's sitting there. And he's sitting in his chair and he's looking down. He says, here it comes. That might be him. It looks, looks like him. Maybe, maybe that's him. And, and as, the, as the picture becomes more clear and it, it becomes more in focus and he stares more and more intently at the sun, he's looking, he's, I think this is it. I, this is it. This, this is my son. This is my son. And without any thought of what he would have done, any thought of what might have happened, any thought of his ailing body or, or any thought of any cultural taboo, he's off down the road to find his son. And there on the other side is the son. And I have to imagine that was a really, really long walk back for the son. I mean, he's, he's ready to eat out of the pig's trough. He's ready. 
He's hit rock bottom and he's made his confession to God and he's like, man, God, I'm a fool. All my dad did was love me and care for me. And what did I do? Like, like some spoiled little brat. I demanded wealth over his relationship. And he's, he's wrestling with this and, and he's like, oh, I can't believe this. But he's like, you know what? I've got nowhere else to go. And so, Lord, I am sorry to you and I'm sorry to my father. And Lord, I'm, I'm praying. I'm praying that when I go back, that just maybe, that just maybe my father would be gracious and compassionate. That just maybe that when I get close, he's not going to turn his back on me or he's not going to tell me to leave the village, but that he'll just let me come home. And I get it, God. You know what? I, I'm okay. I'm okay being a servant. I'm okay not living in the house like a son because I don't deserve it. I squandered everything that my father gave to me. So I'm going to go back. I'm going to tell my dad that I'm sorry. I'm going to pray that he's just compassionate enough. That he'll let me back in. I don't care how much he talks to me. And I don't care how much I have to do. But if I could just be back in his home. And so I'm sure that was a very, very long walk. And so I'm sure as he's walking, he's rehearsing in his mind again and again and again. And there he looks up. And what does he see? He sees his dad. Running down the road. I'm sure in his mind, he's at this point, he's probably just pleading, okay, God, this is it. This is the moment. This is the moment. Lord, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Please just give him compassion. And then, and then it's the moment of impact where they collide. And what happens? The father throws his arms around his son. And he lavishes him with kisses. And I think in the mind of the son, he, he's probably in shock. He, he, he's taken back. Wait a minute, this, this isn't right. This isn't how it was supposed to go. I, I, I was, I was going to fumble out my apology to him and, and, and get on my knees and, and maybe he'd say, you know, maybe my brother would come out and tell me that dad said it's okay that I can work. Maybe that's the way it was supposed to go, but not this, not this guy. This isn't what I deserve. And so he forces his dad off and he says, Dad, I have a confession. I've sinned against you and I've, I've sinned against the heavens. I'm not worthy to be your son. And what does the dad do? He ignores everything the son says. Because, see, the son doesn't have a right to declare his sonship. That authority belongs to the father. And when the father embraces his son, he tells him exactly what he is. And so without saying anything else to the son, what does he do? He calls out to the servants. Get my robe. Get the best robe. Get my ring. Get my sandals. Get the fattened calf. We are going to celebrate. I'm sure the son is probably thinking, celebrate? God, we're, we're going to celebrate? 
We're going we're gonna to celebrate my wayward, reckless lifestyle? That's what we're going to celebrate? We're going to celebrate the fact that I just squandered my family's wealth? That's, that's what we're going to celebrate? No, that's not what we're celebrating. What we're celebrating is the heart of the father for his son that came back home. And each one of those gifts was a reminder to his son exactly what he was. And that was, you are my son. Because see, the robe communicated his position as son in the home. The ring communicated authority as son over the home. And the sandals communicated his separation from servants and sonship within the home. And the fattened calf, that was a well-tendered animal taking care of, that waited for just the right moment, the, the, the perfect time to celebrate. And I mean, it had to be something of the most spectacular nature because you just don't put this out for any, any sort of occasion. It had to be the right moment. And the father was like, this is the moment. This is the moment that we are going to celebrate. We, we are going to party like we have never partied before. Because what is the father celebrating and rejoicing? That once was lost, was now found. You know, the, the prodigal son is a story, it's a popular story of scripture. It's popular even amongst unbelievers and those who don't go to church because of the nature of the story and the value that it communicates. A lost and wayward son who realizes what he has done, who seeks out reconciliation, and a broken-hearted father that's just willing to offer forgiveness that ends with every great story a happy ending. There's a reason why the world knows of this story, because of the power and the impact that it has. And I'm sure that as we've walked through this sermon series, I have sinned, that I'm sure there's probably been one or two sermons or topics or sinners that you probably walked out of and said, oh, yeah, that was me. Yeah, what was preached today, I'm, I'm that sinner. And I wouldn't be surprised if there was a few of you that probably walked out of here every week going, yep, that's me again. Yep, nailed it. That's me. But there's a reason why I wanted to end the way that we do this series. Because I want us to hear the good news. I want us to walk away not beaten down and broken. But to be lifted up. Because the reality is, what is it? We're, we're all the young son, right? We've created separation. We've created distance. And we've created hostility between the father and us. We're all living a wild, crazy party that's going to come crashing down that has each and every one of us eating out of the pig's trough. But if at any point you're willing to make that journey back home, the father is there waiting for you. You know, he's left that porch light on. And he says, the moment you walk through that door, it's not about punishment or judgment, but it's about forgiveness and grace and mercy 
and unconditional love. Because it wasn't just the inheritance that the son was entitled to. No, more importantly, he was entitled to the love of that father. And so God graces us beyond all measure. And he gives us the keys to his heavenly home. And the keys to God's kingdom came in the form of his son, Jesus Christ. And just as the father ran to the son, God saw us from a distance and sent his son down to save us, to die on the cross, to shed his blood for our sins. And that if we are willing to put our faith in Jesus, we will be forgiven for what we have done and we will be welcomed back into the home. None of us deserve his forgiveness, we know that. None of us deserve the great riches that he gives us on a day-to-day basis. None of us deserve the robe, the ring, the sandals. None of us certainly deserve the fattened calf, and none of us deserves to be celebrated for our wayward living. But God proves to us just how good he is and how much he loves us. Because what does he do? He takes us and he says, you're a filthy mess. And I'm going to clothe you in Christ. And I'm going to wash you. And I'm going to transform you and make you clean. And even better yet, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make you the guest of the honor at the dinner table. You know, Revelation 19 talks about the wedding supper of the Lamb. And it says, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given for her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. And then the angel said to me, write this, Blessed are those who were invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. God sent out an invitation. He sent out Christ. And he said, if you want to come to my banqueting table of love to be celebrated, embrace my son, Jesus Christ, and you'll be forgiven. No matter what you have done, no matter how much you think you are far removed, no matter how bad you are, in Christ, there is always a seat at his table of love. And so as we close out, as we finish this, I want us to understand that what I want us to do is I want us to move towards repentance. I want us to move towards a heart of confession. I want us to move back into the graces of God. That if you are carrying around a a, a sin, if there is a weight that is on you, God is there just waiting for you to come back home. Because the reality is that each and every one of us is the blessed sinner. God giving us what we don't deserve because of his unconditional love. Let's pray. Father, what a a joy to be able to end this way.
Lord, what a, a joy it is to know that, Lord, it's not of my works or my good deeds, but, Father, it's just what you have chosen to do. You've offered me a gift, and no matter how many times I wander, no matter how many times I stray, what you're calling for is you're calling from your kingdom and saying, just come back home. Because the allure of the world is always going to leave us empty and it's going to destroy us. But in your home, we are safe and secure where you fill our stomachs. You put a roof over our head and you show us what it means to be in a loving relationship with you. Thank you for being a good God and the Almighty Father. Amen.